We're talking about, yeah, there's a lot of different kinds of currency, but have you thought about the different kinds of currency that there is? Time's a currency. You spend it. You spend time, and what you do with your time, it adds up, and it takes away. And time, different than money and different than other resources, time's one of those things that once it's gone, it's gone. There is no more. You can't make more of it. You can't print more of it if you're the government. You can't do anything like that. Have you noticed that trust is a currency? Give, people give you trust, and then you earn it from them. Have you noticed that? And then you make a decision they may not agree with, and then what happens? You spent a little of that currency. And that's okay between you until you, you spend more than you've given or invested, then you've got issues. There's other currencies, though. I mean, I think about attention as a currency. When you, when you give your attention to somebody, it's as if you're giving them something that is a commodity. It's a currency. Of course, things and giving money, are, those, are, those are definitely currencies, too. Hospitality is a currency. Grace Grace is a currency. It's something we give people, and we, we hold on to it, and we collect it, and we give it when we choose to give it. I think of a lot of you, you have amazing experiences in your life, and you can choose whether or not to invest that experience in the kingdom. I mean, it's your choice. It's something you have. We think of talents as a, as a currency. And of course, when I say talents, I obviously, I, I mean, it's just been in front of us. I think of the musicians and, and all of that, and that's a different talent. But that's not the only talents there are. Most of all of us have some kind of talent, and it's a currency. And you can spend it where you choose to spend it. And we're talking about generosity. Of course, there's different kinds of generosity, too. There's the kind of generosity that comes to mind immediately is if you're going to give people money. But there's even differences to that. It depends on how freely you give. You could say generosity is how much you give or how if you give occasionally or if you give when it's convenient or you give when you're compelled or maybe when you're emotionally compelled. You know how that, you know, the old saying in advertising, you know, if you got kids or animals, but nobody wants to give to the mortgage, right? But it's still generosity. It's still a different kind of generosity. Some people just give when it's just enough. Some people give over and above. Some people give consistently. Some people are very comfortable with just a one-time gift. I understand that. Some people give till it hurts. But all those are different kinds of generosity and different measures of generosity. And as we keep talking about this, I think about even, even with that, some people can be generous in one area but not in another. Like, for instance, the absentee dad. I, I know I might step on some toes here, but you, you know what I'm talking about, right? Where they can't give you their time or their presence, but they'll give you presence. They're generous, but not all around. Not generous in every way. Or how about the person who's really, really willing to serve, but they can't put, they, they won't give any money. They're still generous, but it's just, it's just different. Some people are going to be very generous with their talents, but then they don't give any grace. So I wonder with people like that, if the, if the generosity is really in their heart, or if it's something they do, I'll be generous here, and I don't want to be generous here in the greater part. So I question, and I wonder, where, where's that generosity? Generosity isn't always about quantity either. It's not always about how much. It's sometimes about quality, about you giving your best. Sometimes it's about inconvenience. And if you're going to give when, it, when, it, when it's inconvenient, sometimes it's about capacity. And you remember the story about Jesus, and they were watching people put money in the, in the till at the temple, and then the, the Pharisee put in all this money, and then this one little lady, she just put in one little penny. 
And Jesus said she gave more because it was all she had to give. Capacity. Sometimes it's about timing. And you have the wisdom that God has given you, and you give a word at the right time because you're generous with it. For some people, it's about relationship, and you've chosen to give exclusive relationship to somebody, excluding every other distraction. That's generous. When you think about the church, sometimes as a church, people can be consumers. And again, I'm not talking about any of you. I'm talking about other people, other churches, right? But you know how it can work as a church. If, if the only reason you come to church is for what the church gives you, then, then that's more like a cruise ship consumer mentality, that you're here to be served and we can, we can offer you all the amenities. On the other hand, if you looked at church and you were, you were generous and it was more like a hospital ship and everybody had a job, and, and it was almost as those of you who are in the Navy, when we said general quarters, everybody ran to their battle station because you've got a job to do. It's almost like everybody has an oar to man, and if, if we're not pulling together and, we're not, and our oar's not in the water, the ship's not going in the right direction, and it's not going where it should go, and it's not going as fast as it should go, and you don't leave it all to the professional paid Christians on staff. So here's my question for you today, and this will frame everything we're going to talk about today. Where does this generous heart that I'm trying to describe come from? If we're really talking about somebody who has a generous heart and it pervades every part of their life, and it's not just when it's convenient, it's not just when they've got somebody pulling on them emotionally, but they're generous all the time and in every way, where does that come from? And what I want to do with you today is I want, I want to take you to a part of the Bible. It's in, in Luke chapter 9. Now, I mentioned this in Sunday school this morning. You know, none of the chapters or verse designations that we're familiar with were in place earlier and originally in the gospel. Those came in 1611 when, when the uh, King James Bible was written. So in the book of Luke, if you're familiar with that book, book, it is the longest of the Gospels. It's really long, like 1,200 and some verses compared to like 600 and some for Mark. It's very long. So this chapter is like 50-some verses. So we're not going to read the whole chapter. But what I want to do is survey you through this chapter because in this chapter, Jesus confronts not only his disciples but the crowds around him with this whole idea of generous. Are you generous? And he confronts them with it in a lot of different ways. And there's things in there which, which as we read the scripture, sometimes we pull out parts of it, which is normal. But when you see it in context, you get a more full understanding of what Jesus is trying to communicate to them. So it starts with this. He sends out the 12. Now, the 12 disciples, you might even consider them his paid staff, if we were doing it this way. You might say that they were the professional Christians because they're the ones that followed Jesus day in, day out. They're the ones who passed out the food when he fed the 5,000. They were the ones who brought the sick to him and managed the crowd. They were the ones that people looked to and said, oh, they're his team, his staff. So one day Jesus called together his 12 disciples and gave them power and authority to cast out demons, to heal all diseases. Then he sent them out to tell everyone about the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He had three things he was telling them to do. Power to cast out demons, heal diseases, and and tell them about the kingdom of God. Now, first, this confused Herod. If you remember, Herod, was he was put in charge of that region by the Roman Empire, and he had already killed John the Baptist, so he was kind of confused. Who is this Jesus? Is it John the Baptist come back to life? And then other people said, well, no, he might be Elijah. So he was confused. 
And then we read on down, and, and Jesus feeds the 5,000 in this portion of Scripture, which was reminiscent to most Jews of Moses bringing the manna, the, the food from God, the bread of heaven. And then Peter, uh, Jesus is asking, who do people say that I am? And they're saying, oh, they say you're maybe John the Baptist or Elijah. So that theme comes up again, and, and you'll see why in a minute. And then Peter says, no, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. And then Jesus predicts his death. And I'm sure they were totally confused. Wait a minute, I just said you were the Messiah. Now you're saying you have to die. And what he's trying to do is reframe who the Messiah was from what they were expecting. They were expecting a military leader. And Jesus said, no, I'm going to suffer. I'm going to be rejected. I'm going to be killed. And then I'm going to be raised from the dead on the third day. They were really confused. Then he looks to the crowd. Most of the time when Jesus was traveling, those 12 would have been nearest. But as he was preaching, you know how some people do when they're, they're talking, but they're trying to talk to everybody? Like, they may look like they're having a conversation with one person, but they're talking loud enough so that everybody hears. Jesus did that all the time. And in Luke 29, 23, he says, he says to the crowd, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross daily, and follow me. Do you see how that would have been heard a little different after Jesus just said he was going to die? They had to be thinking, wait a minute, you're going to die, and now i got to pick up a cross Daily? And then he says, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. He's defining what real discipleship is. Then he goes on and he says, and what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but you yourself are lost or destroyed? He's starting to talk about generosity. And if anyone is ashamed of me and my message, the son of man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in his glory and in the glory of the father and the holy angels. Then a remarkable thing happens, the transfiguration. He takes Peter, James, and John up on this hill, and it's, I, 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 wonder, I wonder if when we get to heaven, we'll get to replay some of these things. Do you wonder if, if God will pull up on the VCR? <laughs> Just kidding. You guys know what that is? The youth, a lot of them sit here. But anyway, I wonder if we'll get to see this, because in this picture, what happens is Jesus is there, and the Bible says that he becomes radiant, and the other times people are described that way are like when angels appear and stuff. I think of it like this, that, that maybe some of his humanity that, that had veiled and covered his godness and the spirit of God there was kind of pulled away and you see the glory that he always had. And so these three disciples get to see that. And then who, do you guys remember, who is it that appears and starts talking with them? Moses and Elijah. Do you remember we were just talking about them? People kept saying, wait, Jesus, you're Moses or Elijah, people think, or whatever. And you, you fed the 5,000, all of a sudden Moses and Elijah are there talking to him. It's, it's amazing. It's an amazing thing. So we keep going in this story. Then Jesus heals a, a, a boy who is possessed by a demon. And then a really interesting thing happens. John, John comes up and he's complaining. These, these, these people are not part of our group. And here's where it is in, in, in verse 49 and 50. John says to Jesus, Master, we saw someone using your name to cast out demons. But we told him to stop because he isn't in our group. Really? We told him to stop. Leave that demon in that boy. Stop because he's not in our group. But Jesus said, don't stop him. Anyone who is not against you is for you. Anyone who's not against you is for you. Then another really strange thing happens. They, they get opposition from Samaritans. If you're not familiar with biblical history, there was... When the Jews were taken into captivity, there was a remnant of people who were left in this region of Samaria, which would be, be now modern-day Syria, just north of Israel. And, 
as part of that, they intermarried with the local people there. So the Jews had racial issues with them. And even though they were still the same religion, basically the way that the Samaritans practiced Judaism was a little different. So they had religious issues with them. So sometimes there was goodwill, but sometimes there wasn't. And in this case, as the time drew near for him to ascend to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. He was on a mission. He sent messengers ahead to the Samaritan village to prepare for his arrival, but the people of the village did not welcome Jesus because he was on his way to Jerusalem. (laughs) This is just comical. When James and John saw this, they said to Jesus, Lord, should we call down fire from heaven to burn them up? You don't often think of (laughs) James and John that way, do you? I mean, I, I don't. Lord, should we call down fire from heaven to burn them up? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. So they went on to another village. Yeah, thank goodness. Then, again, Jesus turns to the crowd, and he talks about the cost of discipleship. And he says, as they were walking along, someone said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. But Jesus replied, foxes have dens to live in and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to even lay his head. Then he said to another person, come and follow me. The man agreed, but he said, Lord, first... Let me return home and bury my father. But Jesus told him, let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. Your duty is to go and preach about the kingdom of God. And another said, yes, Lord, I will follow you, but first let me say goodbye to my family. But Jesus told him, anyone who puts a hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. And then jumping into chapter 10 here, Jesus sends out even more disciples. The Lord now chose 72 other disciples, and he sent them ahead in pairs to all the towns and places he planned to visit. These were his instructions to them. The harvest is great, but the workers are few, so pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his field. And here's what I want to do. We're going to start with the 72 and work our way backward. Why 72? What do you think? Were there only 72 there? It's, it's a weird number sometimes. And there's a lot of numbers in the Bible, if you've probably noticed. What are, what are some of the numbers that are important in the Bible? Just call them out. Three is important, Trinity, and 40 is a big one. 12 is good. <laughs> okay, seven, seven is big. Now, somebody said 12, which is true. We had 12 disciples. What, what would 12, by 12 times 12 be? Yep, that'd be 144, right? And half of that's 72. But 72 is significant in another way. And, and this is just kind of just little Bible stuff if you're interested in this kind of thing. You have to understand that just earlier, Jesus sent out the 12, right? And then now he's sending out 72. So earlier, he was sending out the staff, the professional Christians to do the work. Now he's sending out 72. But the thing about 72 is after the flood in Genesis 10, this is kind of Jewish the way they would think there. There's 72 nations lifted, listed after the flood as descendants of, of Uh, Noah's sons. What's interesting about that is in Jewish mind, 72 was all the world or complete. It was the whole group. 72 was what it meant for them was, was everybody. What it does represent for us is all Christians. It's as if Jesus was sending out everybody. At first he sent just the 12. Now he's sending out the whole group. You might say all y'all, right? It represents all Christians, the whole church. What it is, is you're you're the 72. You you are the 72. The reason it says that is because he's saying, I have a mission, and all my believers, all all of the Christians need to go and do the mission for me. 
That's what he's saying. <laughs> it's interesting because it starts to show us that Jesus doesn't call you without also sending you. You know, because the 72, they've been following him for a long time. But that's not how Jesus left it. He didn't just leave them as casual followers. He asked them then, I want you to take my mission that I've been preaching, and now you go preach it. I wonder how many of them stopped and said, well, wait, 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 wait. I'm I'm not one of your 12. I'm not qualified. You think anybody said that or thought that? Oh, I'm sure they did. I'm sure a lot of them had a lot of questions. I'm I'm sure some of them thought, well, I I don't don't know the Bible like you. I I don't know what to say. I don't even know where to go. What if they tell me no? I mean, he pro- they probably had a ton of questions, just like we would have. But Jesus sends them out. And the principle here is he doesn't call you without also sending you. God, he, he does these things for us. He heals us. He restores us. He forgives us. He gives us grace that we don't deserve. He does all that. But he doesn't expect us just to enjoy it and bask in all that ourselves. What he wants us to do is take that and then go do something with it. He redeems you so then you can become part of the redemption team. You're on the team. He's saying all of us together are going to do this ministry. I look at it like this. God never blesses you without sending you out to be a blessing. And you may be sitting here and thinking, well, wait, I'm not all that blessed. I mean, I've had hard times. I've had things go wrong. You know what? (laughs) That's okay, too. Because God uses those things. He uses everything you've been working on. I believe this. I believe that there's nothing that, God, God, that happens in our life that God cannot use for his glory and use for you to be a blessing to somebody else. In Ephesians, Paul says it like this. We are God's masterpiece. I, I want to stop right there for a minute because masterpiece, in some versions, it says workmanship. I mean, it literally carries the idea that God is working on you like a craftsman would work on a piece of wood or some beautiful piece of art. I don't know how many of you feel like that today. I don't often. And most of the things going on in my life, I don't see them as really beautiful. But God does. He takes those things and he turns them into beautiful things. And he is working on you all the time. But he doesn't work on you just to create some beautiful piece of art and put it up on a mantle. Look what it says next. He has created us anew in Christ so... There's purpose here. We can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Remember Pastor Newby used to say he prepared works in advance for us to do? That's this verse. God has actually saved you, forgiven you, healed you, redeemed you, so that you can go and do his work. That's what he does it for. It's not for you could just be a trophy wife, trophy piece. He does it so you can then do it to somebody else and bless somebody else. You're God's masterpiece, his workmanship. I look at it like this. There's certain works that only you can do. We, I can't do, I I do some things. All of us can do some things, but we don't do the same things. We don't interact with the same people. We haven't had the same experiences. We can't relate to the same people. I, I, I love talking to strangers. I just do. And I always try to find some point of, of connection, something we have in common. And most of the time I can, but not all the time. And there's times where I'm talking to somebody and I think, wow, we are from different planets. Not just worlds, not just neighborhoods, but planets. I can't find any connection. But you know what? There is somebody who God has saved and redeemed. His workmanship 
his masterpiece who is perfectly the right person to talk to them, the right person to serve them. You think about the the bad things and the failures you've walked through, you realize you learn more from your failures, right? In fact, there's a leadership principle that says oftentimes we learn the wrong things from our successes because we attribute our success to the wrong things. But it's in failure you really learn because you see where it didn't go right and, you, and, and if, if dealt with properly, you find out how to do it better next time. And guess what? That's not just for you. That's for other people. Do you, have you ever thought about this? There's certain people that you're the only one who could hold their hand, who's walked where they've walked, who's lived through it and found victory. You're the only one. You're the only one that can help them find freedom from certain addictions and demons. You're the one because you've been there. You've experienced, you understand it. You're the only one who could be the, the, the healer for that person, the wounded healer who's been through it, walked through it, and now lived past it. There's design in all of this. Our whole life is like this, where God takes our, our mess-ups and our mistakes, and he builds beautiful things. It's what he does. It's what he does. When Jesus sent out the 72. I don't know if they thought of themselves this way. Maybe they did. I wonder if they had t-shirts made, do you think? And then later on, they'd say, hey, yeah, I'm one of the 72. You and me, babe. You think? Because we should be doing that. We're in this mission together. They were on a mission. He sent them. The, the actual word sent is maseo in Latin, which is where we get the word mission from. You are on a mission. You are sent ones. You've been sent just like that. And again, maybe you do see yourself as somebody who comes to church and, and it, it's enough that you just showed up. You know what? For some people, maybe that's true. I'm glad you're here. No, no problem. But I, I see it more like this, that the idea is that you would be equipped here to be generous with what God has given you and give it out to the world. That's what I see it as that you're going to be prepared here to do those good works that he's called you to do. And Ephesians puts it just like that in chapter 4, verse 11 to 12. Now, these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. You could call them even the professional Christians if you want, the disciples. And then their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and to build up the church, the body of Christ. And it never ends. You see the cycle here? This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Yeah, it's all for you to do God's work, for you to be generous with who he's made you to be. It's, it's per- pervasive generosity. It goes through everything. It's in everything you do because it's who you are. Because you've been given much, you, you love much, and you want to go out, you're sent ones. You might say, where am I supposed to go? My first thought for you is out of yourself. Not much happens in the comfort zone. You've noticed that? How many fish jump into your aquarium? Doesn't happen, does it? You got to go fish. You got to go get them. <laughs> you got to go get them. Jesus saves you and he, and he heals you and he redeems you and he puts you back together. And then what he, you know what he says to you? Get out. In a good way. Get out. Go, go do something with this I gave you. But for that to really make sense, we need to look at that next portion of Scripture. Remember those three people who came to Jesus? 
there were three followers. It didn't, as I read that, I didn't, I didn't highlight it, but didn't it seem like Jesus was a little harsh? I mean, he, he did seem harsh. To the first one, it's, it's almost as if he says, hold, hold up, you're moving too fast. You haven't really thought this through. Because remember the guy said, I will follow you everywhere you go. And Jesus said, well, hold on. I, I don't even have a pillow to lay my head on. Do you know what you're asking? For the next two, they're real similar. Um, he says, uh, you're coming a little too slow. The one needed to bury the dead, and he says, let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. And the other one, uh, he, he said he needed to go take care of the farm, and he said, nobody who puts their hand to the plow and looks back is worthy. Remember that? So the one came a little too fast, the other came a little too slow. But in both cases, he wanted them to consider the cost. I think what he was saying in a way, because he'd already talked about his death and suffering, remember? What he was saying was, you, you may be looking for a Messiah that, that's going to be on the glory train. You may be thinking that's going to be a fun trip. Just saddle your, or hook your wagon to me, and I'm going to take you places. But did you forget where I'm going? I'm going to suffer and be persecuted and die. You really want to jump on this train? That's what he said. To the other one, he basically was saying, you got a lot of ifs attached to your following. You say you want to follow, but it's if this or if that. He perceived that he really wasn't the most important thing in their life. I think what Jesus was telling them is you need to follow me unconditionally. I'm gonna, let me say it this way. If you can set the conditions for following Jesus, then you're really not following him. You're following your version of him. That's tough. The whole thing about the plow. Has anybody ever worked a real plow, like with a horse? It's hard work. Gene, you've done that? You know how hard it is to drive straight when you're looking over your shoulder. Imagine a plow with a horse and it's bumping all along and hitting a rock. And What he's saying is you need to be focused on me and just me. If you have all these ifs, that's not going to work. And the, the thing is, you know, we're following a God who is immense and amazing. And, and is he the kind of God that you say, yeah, I'll follow you, but... Let me set the details of that, or did you let him be in charge? Let me, let me say it this way. It, if you're not able to give yourself completely, oh, you won't be able to give yourself completely away to people if you haven't given yourself completely to him. If we're talking about being generous with everything he's given to us, that starts with being generous and giving yourself completely to him with no ifs, nothing held back. And, but wait, there's more. Let's go back to the first part of that scripture. The first part. Because I know that for a lot of us, you, you want to give yourself completely to him. And even as I'm talking about this today, one of the things the Holy Spirit does is talk to us and, and convict us a little here and there. And you may be saying, well, first our inclination is to say, oh yeah, he's talking to my husband right now. But, but then if you listen, the Holy Spirit would be saying, and you might be thinking, wow, God, am I holding anything back? Hopefully you're asking that question from him right now. But all of that becomes worth it, and you are compelled and want to do this if you consider how costly the grace was 
that Jesus gave this to us. Remember when John was shutting down the guy who was casting out the demon? What, what was that about? Was that a gracious thing to do? No. Was, was he casting out demons in Jesus' name? What, what was John really saying? I think what John was saying is he liked that position of being on the staff and doing it my way. And he's not doing it under me. I think it was a control thing. I think, I think it was a turf issue or territorial or maybe he was worried about their reputation or maybe he thought they were saying it wrong. But either way, it was very ungenerous. And then what's, what's kind of funny is they reject that man and then the Samaritans reject them. And probably John never thought once about the fact that we just did to him what now the Samaritans are doing to us. We were ungenerous. Now the Samaritans are being ungenerous. And how did Jesus respond? John, uh, James and John wanted to call down fire, right? And, and they had precedent for that. Remember the whole Moses and Elijah thing that kept reappearing? They called down fire. Elijah, in fact, there was a time where, where an angry king would send 50 soldiers after him. And he called down fire, and the Bible says the fire ate him up, and he did it again. Then the next time, the, soldiers, the commander says, hey, I heard what happened to the other guys. P- please don't do that to me. <laughs> there was precedent for fire, but Jesus didn't even think about that. You know why? Here's where it gets really serious for us, and I'd like the worship team to come up. Here's where it gets serious. Did Jesus have the right to call down fire? I, sure. But he didn't come for that. He, he came to take the fire. Do you, do you see that? I mean, he, he could have been the one to judge, but he didn't. He came to take our judgment. He, he could have been really angry, but instead he absorbed all God's anger for sin for us. The ultimate act of giving himself fully with generosity, nothing held back, was Jesus for us. It was Jesus for us. He gave himself generously. So what I'm asking you to do today is to give yourself generously. Because he's given himself that way that you would then give yourself that way. First to him and then to others. The thing is, the more you see the costliness of the grace that costs him everything, and then you see how he did it so willingly, it's hard not to be so grateful that we want to give ourselves to him. It compels you. You know, being, being a Christian disciple is radical. It's, it's putting Jesus ahead of money and yourself and desires and fame and achievement and all the things the world says will satisfy you. We, we live in a world where, I, I mean, I've heard people say things like fundamentalism always leads to violence. And, and I don't know if you've heard about what, what happened in Orlando last night. And it, it was in, a, in a, a nightclub, and I've heard reports of 20 up to 40 people killed, some kind of terrorism, and right away people are saying it's fundamental. Here's what they miss. It depends on what you're fundamental about, doesn't it? If, if you're fundamental about a Jesus who gave his life for you and, and love was the motivator, then that changes everything. That looks 
radically different than what the world expects from fundamentalism. What, what that looks like is a, is a love that compels you to be generous with everything God has given you, with the wealth of experiences that you have, with, with your, your life, your attention, your service, everything you have, you want to give it for the one who gave it all to you. I want you to do something with me. I, I would like for, for everybody to shut your eyes for just a moment. With your eyes closed for just a moment, I ask you to do this to close your eyes just to give kind of a sense of privacy. You know, we don't have anybody looking around. This is just a moment between you and God. It's a, it's a chance to just be honest in your own thoughts and mind. It's kind of like, you know, there's times in the day where it's so distracting and busy and then you, you put your head on the pillow and all the thoughts start racing. With everybody's eyes closed, I want to say this again. You are the sent ones You're the 72. But maybe you're sitting here and you've been thinking that actually you've been more of a consumer. I'm wondering, I'm asking a rhetorical question. Have you been generous with yourself? Are there there things that God has given you which you could be giving to bless everybody around you? None of us are given those things just to hold on to them. We're given them to us so that we can bless the world. Do you have anything to contribute? Is there something that God has done in you or for you that would bless this world? Your talents, your life experiences, your ideas, all of those things. But let me ask you a very personal question. Maybe you've been following Christ kind of at a distance. And the kind of radical following that I've been talking about today may seem impossible for you. But... But as we've been talking and you've thought about how generously Christ gave himself for you, you've thought, yes, I've followed him, but I want to follow him wholly with my whole heart. Is there anybody here like that today? Yes, I've followed him, but I want to follow him closer. Anybody at all? Raise your hand. I appreciate that honesty. More important, he does. Let me ask one more question, just a very, very important question. Maybe you're here today and you've haven't followed him really ever, but you would consider following him today for the first time. Maybe, maybe you've heard it described how he is someone who loves you and cares about you, and, and he's given himself for you, and you for the first time want to give yourself to him. Anybody here like that? If you just raise your hand. Anybody at all? I'll wait for just a moment because it takes a minute to look around. All right, please stand with me, everybody. As you're standing, this is what I would like for you to do. I'd like for everybody to just close their eyes for a moment. And I want to invite pastors, wives, board wives, prayer team, and wives to come on down to the front for a minute. And if you would like prayer to, to have us pray for you, to help you follow closer, or if you need prayer for anything at all, whether that be healing or or, or any, anything, we want to take a moment to pray for you as a worship team plays through one of our worship songs and we'll dismiss you. But I'd like for those to come and help us pray.